Hello, this is Carolyn reading to you from the Cape Cod Times on Wednesday, December 13th. As always, we'll start today with the local weather. Today is going to be a mostly sunny and breezy day with highs around 44 degrees. Tonight will be mainly clear. Lows will be 25 degrees. The sun rose this morning at 6.59 a.m. and will set tonight at 4.11 p.m. Tomorrow, Thursday, December 14th, will be a mostly sunny and cold day. Highs will be around 36 degrees, lows of 28 degrees. Friday will be a milder day with plenty of sunshine. Highs will be 47 degrees and lows 37 degrees. Saturday will be a partly sunny day with highs again of around 47 degrees and lows of 36 degrees. And finally, on Sunday, it will be a mostly cloudy day. Highs will be 48 degrees and lows 43 degrees. And next, in other local news, we'll go to the lottery. The numbers game for yesterday, Tuesday, December 12th, at the midday drawing were 9, 7, 5, 1. I'll repeat that, 9, 7, 5, 1. The evening drawing for yesterday, Tuesday, December 12th, 5, 4, 3, 6. Again, that is 5, 4, 3, 6. The Mega Millions numbers for yesterday, Tuesday, December 12th, were 8, 23, 44, 45, 53, and a bonus of 3. Mass cash numbers for yesterday, December 12th, were 1, 5, 10, 14, 25. And finally, the Lucky for Life numbers for yesterday, Tuesday, December 12th, 28, 30, 31, 34, 45, and a lucky ball of 17. If you played any of the games, we wish you the best of luck. And now we'll go to today's front page, Local Stories. The first one is entitled, Marilyn Monroe, Jagger, Valkyrie, Scientists Name 19 Right Whales. By Heather McCarran, Cape Cod Times, USA Today Network. A three-year-old North Atlantic right whale male now swimming in the sea may not have the moves like Mick Jagger, but he certainly has the lips. That's what earned the animal, a member of a critically endangered species, his name this year, Jagger. He is one of 19 right whales who officially went from being just a number listed in the North Atlantic right whale catalog to having a bona fide name. Scientists at the New England Aquarium, which maintains the catalog, 
this year unveiled the newest slate of named North Atlantic right whales, an annual tradition. Naming whales is a lot of fun for us, said Amy Warren, an assistant research scientist in the Anderson Cabot Center for Ocean Life at the New England Aquarium, who led this year's naming process. Nine of the 19 new names came from researchers at the Center for Coastal Studies Right Whale Research Team in Provincetown. Those are Maple, Marilyn Monroe, Waldo, Pinball, Valkyrie, Calamari, Zeus, Jester, and Coral. Ryan Schlossberg, one of the aerial observers with the Center for Coastal Studies, said the Provincetown team saw 11 of the newly named right whales in Cape Cod Bay and adjacent waters in 2023, including Mallard, Maple, Surf, Scrimshaw, Pinball, Valkyrie, Martini, Jester, Katahdin, Agave, and Jagger. How many right? How many North Atlantic right whales are left? Presently, scientists estimate there are about 356 of these whales remaining. Warren said about half of them have been named. Generally, 18 to 20 whales are named each year. Every right whale in the North Atlantic right whale catalog is assigned a number, but names help researchers more easily recognize individuals when they see them during field work. Even for such a small population, Warren noted, remembering numbers for each whale is difficult and confusing. Additionally, the names bring more connection to a species that is imperiled and needs human care and intervention to ensure its survival. The public tends to have a better connection to a whale named Maple versus catalog number 1711, said Warren. That kind of human connection, she said, has been front of mind as the right whale naming process has evolved, and it even influences which whales we choose to name in a given year. So how does a right whale end up with a name like Jagger, Marilyn Monroe, Mallard, or Waldo? It mostly has to do with their callosity markings, or areas of raised tissue, or scars they've acquired, Warren said. Markings that resemble something recognizable to the scientists observing them. The process takes about four months and involves calling out to researchers to nominate whales for naming, pulling their photos, calling for name suggestions, vetting the suggestions, and finally voting through a ranked-choice system. 
since it's so involved, they must limit the number, and researchers may nominate a whale because of how frequently they are seen, or because they've acquired new scars that make them easy to identify. Usually, scientists wait until a whale is about three to consider them for a name, since they would have developed their natural markings by then. Like snowflakes, no two whale markings are the same, though once in a while there may be doppelgangers to keep researchers on their toes. We usually reach out for suggestions in midsummer, said Warren. Almost half the 2023 whale names came from Provincetown researchers. Some of the names suggesting champions are from the Center for Coastal Studies in Provincetown, and the Northeast Fisheries Science Center in Woods Hole. Warren said, "They're very good at it, so there's a very good Cape Cod cohort involved in the naming." She said. The Center for Coastal Studies, Schossberg, pointed out that sometimes the same name may be independently suggested by more than one person or team, which was the case with coral, suggested both by the Center for Coastal Studies team member and Warren. They both claimed the victory. This year. Warren was excited to see three of her other name suggestions chosen: surf, scrimshaw, and agave. Meet a few of the newly named whales. Surf, a 24-year-old male, was first observed by researchers in 1999 in Cape Cod Bay, and he's been a regular ever since. Warren said. She suggested surf because he has white scarring in a shape that resembles a breaking wave. Scrimshaw, a twenty-year-old male, has really notable scars that resembles the scrimshaw art etched into bone or ivory. Warren explained it is preferable for the names to relate. To easily recognizable features or facts about individual whales, for example, Jagger, or catalog number five zero four six, has large callosity markings on his lips, resembling the lips of rock star Mick Jagger. Another male, Kermit, or catalog number four two two zero. Has callosity shaped like Kermit the Frog. Other new names this year include twenty-two-year-old female Marilyn Monroe, catalog number three one three zero, who has a scar on her head that resembles the Hollywood star's beauty mark, as well as Katahdin, catalog number four six three three. With a callosity that is tall and stands apart, just like the tallest mountain in Maine, and Waldo, catalog three one nine one, who has a pattern on his head resembling the signature glasses of the Where's Waldo character.
Who votes on the names? Warren said those who vote for the names are the people who submit a certain number of whale sightings each year to the catalog, and they're not necessarily all researchers. There are thirty to forty people who are invited to vote. We have a couple of people who are beachgoers, she said. Most of those invited to vote live around Cape Cod and Massachusetts bays. Though there are some from Canada, as part of the annual naming, Warren said she and her team collaborate with Whale and Dolphin Conservation, a nonprofit in Plymouth. It's very much a team effort, she said. Naming whales reminds us that each individual whale is unique, with their own identity. And plays an important part in their community and in our lives," said Regina Asmudis Silvia, executive director and senior biologist for the organization. Together, the teams create fun yearbook-style bios for each of the newly named whales. Scrimshaw's bio notes his favorite song is "Tattoo." By Jordan Sparks, while Kermit enjoys Kermit the Frog's "Being Green." See the full list of newly named right whales and their bios at www.neaq.org/meet-the-newly-named-right-whales-. Of dash twenty twenty three. Our next next front page local story is entitled "Intelligent Leaks." Excuse me, intelligence leaks. Fallout continues at Otis Air Base. By Walker Armstrong, Cape Cod Times, USA Today Network. When a 21-year-old Massachusetts Air National Guardsman was charged with leaking classified documents this spring while working at the 102nd Intelligence Wing on Joint Base Cape Cod, the action cast uncertainty over the 102nd's future at the base. In findings released to the public Monday, an Air Force Inspector General's investigation found a quote culture of complacency end quote, and several security procedure failures enabled Airman First Class Jack Teixeira to allegedly obtain and leak the classified material. The work done. By the 102nd Intelligence Wing, was temporarily reassigned to other organizations within the Air Force, pending an investigation into the leaks. The Air Force said in April. U.S. Representative Bill Keating, Democrat, Massachusetts, was not surprised by the Inspector General's findings or the disciplinary action. Taken against fifteen members of the Air National Guard after the fact, 
the information in the Inspector General's report is consistent with information available in the public theater, Keating said. I want to emphasize these are serious charges, and I think the actions of the Department of Justice and the Department of Defense reflect that. Keating said, it remains unclear whether the 102nd will return to Otis Air National Guard Base on Joint Base Cape Cod. Earlier this year, Keating said he met with Air Force Secretary Frank Kendall III and former Air Force, Air Force Chief of Staff General C.Q. Brown, now chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, to advocate that the intelligence mission return to Joint Base Cape Cod. He said he emphasized the 15-year history of the 102nd Intelligence Wing and the role it played during the Iraq and Afghanistan wars and other actions more recently. It's fair to say I had this meeting with them and they both agreed with me about the value over the amount of time, the value of Joint Base Cape Cod, he said during a phone interview Monday night. I think the shared response I got emphasized a shared view of the work over at Joint Base Cape Cod and the 102nd Intelligence Wing was valuable. I took that as an encouraging sign, and I still do. National Guard, to share his actions, don't reflect character of the 102nd Wing. Teixeira of North Dighton was arrested in April, and he remains in federal custody. He is charged with six counts of willful retention and transmission of classified information related to national defense. He has pleaded not guilty to the charges. More than 100 U.S. documents were leaked, according to the Department of Defense. The files contained highly sensitive information tied to the war in Ukraine, including data on military activities, such as U.S. drone spy planes in the area, and Ukrainian forces' use of ammunition. They appear to show Ukrainian forces' training and state of readiness, plus the number of Ukrainian and Russian troops killed and equipment destroyed in the ongoing conflict. Joint Base Cape Cod officials declined an interview request but issued a statement saying Teixeira's actions don't reflect the character of the entirety of the 102nd Intelligence Wing. The unit has, quote, accepted the Inspector General's findings, end quote, and has implemented the necessary changes to ensure further intelligence leaks don't happen again. Over more than 15 years, the 102nd has built a reputation for dependability and excellence within the intelligence community, 
Don Veach, spokesperson for the base, said in the release. Our airmen look forward to returning to serving, protecting, and defending our nation and our state. Veach said in the statement that disciplinary and accountability measures are ongoing. Joint Base Cape Cod, an economic engine for Cape Region. In 2009, a 38-page report by Basile Bauman Prost Coal and Associates, Incorporated, laid out the economic impact of Joint Base Cape Cod on the region and the state. At the time, and currently, the base was home to units from the Massachusetts Army National Air National Guard, Camp Edwards, and Air National Guard, Otis Air National Guard Base, U.S. Air Force, Cape Cod Space Force Station, and U.S. Coast Guard, Air Station, Cape Cod. Nearly 3,800 direct jobs, some full-time and some part-time, represent a payroll of $224 million annually. The Air National Guard make up 30% of the, excuse me, made up 30% of the personnel in 2009 between full and part-time employees for a total of 1,135 positions. The combined payroll represented more than $104 million. The report estimated the Air National Guard was responsible for more than $45 million in consumer spending. Keating said it would likely take some time before the Air Force decides whether the intelligence mission returns to the 102nd at Otis. And our next local front page story is entitled Needy Fund Helps Neighbor Regain Stability by Eric Williams, Cape Cod Times, USA Today Network. She needed to rebuild her life. After enduring a year and a half of domestic violence, this young woman faced injuries that left her temporarily unable to work, leaving her struggling to make ends meet. She was behind on the mortgage and utility bills. Her advocate suggested that she reach out to the Cape Cod Times Needy Fund. Thanks to generous donors like you, the Needy Fund was able to provide assistance, offering the stability she needed to regain control of her life. What is the Cape Cod Times Needy Fund? The nonprofit Cape Cod Times Needy Fund has provided emergency financial assistance to thousands of Cape Codders and Islanders since 1936. That assistance is made possible because of the continued generosity of Neighbors Helping Neighbors. 
the Needy Fund provides short-term emergency assistance to Cape and Islands residents so they can continue to go to work and or stay in their homes. People in need submit their requests for help to the Needy Fund, which in turn pays for the goods or services, a medical bill, for example, through a voucher system. No cash is given to Needy Fund recipients. How to Donate to the Needy Fund Donations, which are tax-deductible, may be made online at needyfund.org slash donate. Checks payable to the Cape Cod Times Needy Fund should be mail, mailed to Cape Cod Times Needy Fund, Post Office Box 36, Hyannis, Massachusetts, 02601. How to Get Needy Fund Assistance Those needing assistance may contact the Needy Fund at 508-778-5661 or 800 800- Four two two one four four six. Questions can be emailed to info at needyfund.org. The Needy Fund is also on Facebook at facebook.com slash needyfund and X, which is formerly Twitter, at needyfund. Needy Fund Donors The fundraising goal this season is $1.6 million, and every donation helps. Thanks to everyone who has made a donation to the Cape Cod Times Needy Fund. And next we'll go to a local story on the Cape and Islands page. It's entitled... Offshore Wind Power to Begin Flowing Before End of Year by Heather McCarran, Cape Cod Times, USA Today Network. Before you can say Happy New Year, electricity churned by the winds blowing south of Martha's Vineyard will begin energizing many a turn-of-year celebration in Massachusetts. The offshore wind developer behind Vineyard Wind One, a joint venture of Avangrid and Copenhagen Infrastructure Partners, is planning to flip the switch in coming days as its 806-megawatt project starts initial operations. That will happen, quote, before the end of 2023, end quote, said Avangrid Director of External Communications, Craig Gilvarg. The start of operations is pending the completion of several critical tests and technical milestones, including final testing of the array and export cables and energization of the offshore substation. Finished in July... That facility is one of the largest built 
in the global offshore industry, according to the company. The impending release of the first power comes as the company finished installing the first of five GE Haliade X turbines, considered to be the most advanced in the industry. Installations began in mid-June. Our team has worked tremendously hard through nights, weekends, and holidays to put us in the position to deliver the first power from Avangrid's nation-leading nation Vineyard Wind One project before the end of the year. Avangrid CEO Pedro Azagra said in a statement about the plans. He indicated the company is working through the final technical requirements to begin delivering these first green electrons to 30,000 homes and businesses in Massachusetts. The power will make landfall at Barnstable's Covell Beach and proceed through its concrete encasement under town roads to a new substation that awaits in Independence Park in Hyannis, where it will connect to the ISO-New England grid. From there, it will be distributed to Massachusetts users. To begin, Vineyard Wind, touted as the nation's first commercial-scale offshore wind project, will contribute about 65 megawatts to the power grid, which will gradually increase in bundles as more turbines are completed and put into operation until the full 100 and excuse me until the full 806 megawatt capacity is reached. We're going to pause this story right now and go to the obituaries. We will continue reading this story at the conclusion of the obituaries. And now, in other local news, we will go to the obituaries. Carol Taylor. Carol Ann Taylor of Brewster, formerly of Chilmark and Hingham, passed away December 5th. 2023. Carol was raised in South Boston. She worked for several years at Head Start in Boston, later owning her own child care service. While living in Chilmark and raising her children, she also worked in real estate. Family was the cornerstone of Carol's life, and she excelled as a mom and a nana. Relatives and friends are respectfully invited to greet the family during visiting hours on Sunday, December 17th, 2 to 5 p.m. in the McDonald Cohane Funeral Home, South Weymouth, at 809 Main Street, which is Route 18, opposite the South Shore Hospital. A celebration of life service will be held in the funeral home at 8.15 a.m. on Monday, December 18th, prior to the funeral mass in St. Bridget's Church, South Boston, at 10 a.m.
burial in New Calvary Cemetery, Boston. In loving memory of Carol, please consider a donation to St. Jude's Children Children's Research Hospital, 501 St. Jude Place, Memphis, Tennessee, 38105. See com for directions and online condolences. Nancy Asselin. Nancy Asselin, age 68, of Hyannis, Massachusetts, passed away on November 28, 2023. Nancy is survived by her former husband, Robert Asselin, her loving daughter, Nicole Asselin, as well as her devoted son, Brandon Asselin. As a Navy spouse, Nancy traveled across the U.S., taking care of her children while her husband was deployed. Well-loved in her Cape Cod community, specifically Barnstable Village, Nancy was instrumental in helping the Barnstable Dog Park become a reality as a member of the committee. She could regularly be found in her garden or playing with her dogs. A ceremony to celebrate Nancy's life will be held at Hallett Funeral Home, 273 Station Avenue, South Yarmouth, Massachusetts, on December 16, 2023, from 1 to 3 p.m. Family and friends are invited to attend and pay their respects. In lieu of flowers, contributions can be made to the Parkinson's Foundation at www.parkinson.org, Fisher House, that's www.fisherhouse.org, or the MSPCA at www.mspca.org. And now we'll go back to the story that we were reading prior to the obituaries. That story is entitled, Offshore Wind Power to Begin Flowing Before End of Year. Turbine installation will continue through the winter, Gilvarg said, noting the project is expected to become fully operational in 2024. There are another 57 turbines to construct in the shallow waters of the Outer Continental Shelf, about 15 miles south of Martha's Vineyard. Vineyard Winds General Electric Halliade X turbines each include a monopile anchoring it to the seafloor, topped by a transitional piece at the surface, then a tower topped by a nacelle and three blades. Each blade is 107 meters, or almost the length of a football field, including the end zone, which is 109.7 meters. The height of each turbine is about the same as three Statue of Liberties stacked up, about 850 feet. 
from blade tip to the water's surface. According to the U.S. Office of Energy Efficiency and Renewable Energy, this scale is typical for offshore wind turbines. The greater heights and longer blades allow each turbine to create more energy more efficiently. Therefore, fewer turbines are needed to produce the same power that shorter turbines with shorter blades would generate. News of the upcoming first wind-generated power release is greeted by the Environmental League of Massachusetts as something of a gift, just in time for the holiday season. League President Elizabeth Turnbull Henry said in a statement that the organization is thrilled to see this tremendous milestone and strong momentum toward delivering the first large-scale offshore wind power to the New England grid. Offshore wind is the, singest, is the single biggest lever we can pull to address the climate crisis while strengthening our regional economy, protecting ratepayers, improving public health, and creating high-quality jobs and equitable access to economic opportunity, she said, adding that the organization commends Avangrid and CIP for their determination in bringing Vineyard Wind 1 online and demonstrating a path forward for New England to equi equitably and responsibly achieve carbon neutrality. Joe Cortitoni, president of the Northeast Clean Energy Council, is also excited, saying, this will forever change how we think about power production in the United States. Unlocking a major source of electricity in the Northeast that can be copied by other coastal regions. Vineyard Wind began offshore construction in late 2022. Once it's complete, the project will produce enough power to energize 400,000 homes and businesses in Massachusetts and is expected to reduce carbon emissions by more than 1.6 million metric tons per year, equivalent to taking 325,000 cars off the road annually. And there's a picture on the Cape and Islands page with a caption that says, Big Blue Bulb. The picture is of several large bulbs, different colored bulbs, and the caption reads, Giant Christmas ornaments dangle in a light breeze Tuesday at the Harbor Overlook off South Street in Hyannis. And next we'll go to a story in Massachusetts State News. Bills would allow advanced emergency care and other benefits for police dogs. By Kinga Barandi, Worcester Telegram and Gazette, USA Today Network. 
The Massachusetts State House went to the dogs Monday when several canine officers brought their partners along as they testified in favor of two bills to benefit injured and retired police dogs. The first bill would allow emergency responders to offer advanced life support services to police dogs wounded in the line of duty as they are transported to veterinary hospitals. A second bill would establish a fund for the care and medical bills of canines who are ready to retire through the end of their lives. Uxbridge police officer Tom Stockwell and his partner Bear, a Dutch shepherd, described the importance of the proposed legislation. Stockwell said that when they were involved in a rollover crash, Bear could not be transported by ambulance to a veterinary hospital. Instead, he was bundled into a patrol car and rushed to the vet. Lack of Emergency Medical Field Care for Injured Animals There was no field care for the injured dog, Stockwell said. Much of the equipment that saves human lives can also be used to save canine lives, Stockwell said. In his experience, emergency responders welcome the training to treat wounded police service dogs. The two have been partners in patrol and in the municipality's narcotic division for seven years. Stockwell told legislators that Bear is nearing retirement, explaining that the service animals have an active duty span of six to eight years and can live to the age of 12. We're at the back end of his career, Stockwell told the legislators. Ideally, the service animal would retire into Stockwell's home. The bond between the partners is tangible, bears attention never wandering from Stockwell. While Bear may not need extensive medical interventions as he ages, other canines wounded in the line of duty or suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder can need extensive supports. The Special Retirement Fund would ensure that families are not strapped by medical expenses for their dogs. The bill to create the retirement fund is being nicknamed Dakota's Law after a police dog who responded to the 2013 Boston Marathon bombing. The dog suffered severe emotional distress, requiring extensive rehabilitation. Representative Stephen Yaros, Republican of Barnstable, a former police officer, urged the committee to support the measure and allow Massachusetts to care for dogs through the end of their lives as they have served and protected residents of the states. Rehoboth officer David Aguar 
attending the hearing with his partner, Edo, noted that we don't put down military veterans who suffer from PTSD. We will not put down canines that suffer from PTSD. These canines have trained, earned the title of police officer. They should retire as officers. They are not just dogs. They are our partners and serve as a vital police, a vital part of the police force. Nero's Law 2.0 The measure to allow emergency responders to offer advanced life support services during transport of injured canines would supplement Nero's Law, signed in 2022 by Governor Charlie Baker, that permitted emergency medical treatment and transport for injured police dogs. This is Nero's Law 2.0, Yaros said. Yaros was instrumental in the passage of Nero's Law after the shooting death of Yarmouth Sergeant Sean Gannon in 2016. Gannon and K-9 Nero were serving a search warrant in Barnstable when they were shot at. Gannon died and Nero was injured. Police were forced to transport the dog to a veterinary hospital in a police cruiser. Nero recovered and retired with Gannon's family. Gannon's mother, Denise, attended the hearing to support the two bills. Since Nero's law passed, I have attended all the trainings, said Denise Gannon. She said the bond between the officers and their partners and between the men working in canine units is phenomenal. Once you learn about the canine service, you realize they are not just dogs. They are police officers, and they save lives. A former music teacher and pastoral minister, Denise Gannon, is now spending time advocating for canine units, their training, care, and rehabilitation. The first time I heard the words, Officer Down, was the day my son was killed, Denise Gannon said. They are the worst thing in the world, not just for a parent, but for the officers, the department, the community. The special aspect of law enforcement, that is the canine units. It is hard to describe. Come to the trainings. The picture that goes with this story is of a police officer and dog at a hearing. The title reads, Uxbridge Police Dog Bear joins his partner, police officer Tom Stockwell, during a hearing Monday before the General Assembly's Joint Committee on Public Safety and Homeland Security. And now we'll go to a national news story. Hunter Biden seeks dismissal, asks judge to toss federal gun charges. 
by Bart Jansen, USA Today. Hunter Biden asked a federal judge Monday to dismiss gun charges filed against him on the grounds that prosecutors had reneged on promises they made while negotiating a plea deal over weapons and tax charges that later collapsed. Defense lawyer Abby Lowell said the president's son had made a deal with prosecutors and had kept up his end. Hunter Biden acknowledged elements of the tax and gun crimes he was charged with, but Lowell said he wouldn't have surrendered his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination, admitting to possibly criminal acts, without getting the deal. A judge torpedoed the plea agreement in July. Lowell argued on Monday the prosecution was trying to renege on the deal, but that Biden has fulfilled his side of the agreement by not possessing a firearm, not using illicit drugs, and agreeing to drug testing and treatment. And he went further, arguing that U.S. District Judge Mary Ellen Norica in Delaware lacked the power to cancel the weapons portion of the plea deal between Biden and federal prosecutors. The defense attorney's motion was the latest move in a long-running series of federal and congressional investigations of the president's son over his taxes, gun ownership, and overseas business entanglements. Hunter Biden is a frequent target of former President Donald Trump and Republicans on Capitol Hill. Hunter Biden faces up to 25 years in prison if convicted. The prosecution's desire to take political cover from the criticism leveled at it does not provide a legal basis for them to renege on the diversion agreement it explained to the court it had made, Lowell wrote in his filing. The court should require the prosecution to honor its agreement and dismiss the indictment. Norica hasn't set a trial date yet. Hunter Biden faces up to 25 years in prison if convicted on all three charges, although first-time offenders are typically given shorter terms. What other cases does he face? The gun charges represent just one of many legal battles Hunter Biden faces. He was indicted Thursday on federal tax charges in California for allegedly failing to pay $1.4 million in taxes from 2016 to 2019. The House Oversight and Accountability Committee subpoenaed him for testimony Wednesday and threatened to hold him in contempt if he doesn't appear for a closed-door deposition. And he remains under, in federal, under federal investigation as a potential foreign agent. 
Hunter Biden has also sued Rudy Giuliani over the release of salacious personal material from his laptop, the Internal Revenue Service, for allegedly revealing confidential information about his taxes, and former Trump White House aide Garrett Ziegler for allegedly assessing, excuse me, accessing and tampering with data from the laptop. The high-profile charges and litigation represent a potential drag on his father, President Joe Biden, as he campaigns for re-election. What are the accusations behind the gun charges? The indictment charges Hunter Biden with knowingly deceiving a firearms dealer by buying a Colt Cobra 38 SPL revolver on October 12, 2018. He is charged with falsely filling out a federal form denying he was addicted to any narcotics. And he is charged with knowingly possessing the revolver despite the restrictions against people addicted to drugs owning firearms. The younger Biden has written about his struggle with addiction in a 2021 memoir and in newspaper articles. The plea agreement would have allowed Biden to plead guilty to two misdemeanors for failing to pay his taxes in 2017 and 2018 and to enter a pretrial program for a gun charge that could have been dismissed if he complied. The deal might have allowed him to avoid prison. Norica refused to accept the deal because of disputes between prosecutors and defense lawyers over whether it protected Biden from potential future charges. Congressional Republicans blasted the plea agreement as too lenient. But Lowell argued Monday that Norica's approval wasn't needed to complete the, pre, the plea agreement concerning the gun charge because Hunter Biden and the prosecutors were the only ones participating in the deal. Abby Lowell, special counsel, was improperly appointed. Negotiating this resolution with the prosecution was made difficult because the prosecution could not make up its mind about what it wanted and repeatedly moved the goalposts whenever a resolution was in reach, Lowell wrote in a footnote. Lowell also asked Norica to dismiss the gun charges by arguing they were unconstitutional. He wrote that, under recent court decisions, Biden could no longer be asked about illicit drug use as a condition for buying a gun. In addition, Lowell asked Norica to dismiss the charges by arguing that Weiss's appointment as a special counsel was unconstitutional. 
Attorney General Merrick Garland appointed Weiss as a special counsel while he remained the U.S. Attorney for Delaware, where he first began investigating Biden. And we'll conclude today with Today in History. Today is Wednesday, December 13th, the 347th day of 2023. There are 18 days left in the year. On this date in 1862, Union forces led by Major General Ambrose Burnside launched futile attacks against entrenched Confederate soldiers during the Civil War Battle of Fredericksburg. The soundly defeated Northern troops withdrew two days later. In 1937, the Chinese city of Nanjing fell to Japanese forces during the Sino-Japanese War. What followed was a massacre of war prisoners, soldiers, and citizens. China maintains that up to 300,000 people were killed. Japanese nationalists say the death toll was far lower. In 1981, authorities in Poland imposed martial law in a crackdown on the Solidarity Labor Movement. Martial law formally ended in 1983. And in 1993, the Space Shuttle Endeavor returned from its mission to repair the Hubble Space Telescope. This has been Carolyn reading to you from the Cape Cod Times on Wednesday, December 13th. I hope you all have a wonderful day.